So let's begin a brand new study looking at the greatest book in the Bible, the most well-known book in the Bible, a book which gives Christians hope during times of absolute despair. And of course, I'm speaking about the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms has 150 chapters, 2,461 verses, 43,743 words. The book of Psalms was written by at least seven authors, with several being unknown. We believe it was written over a period of 1400 years, from around 1400 BC to 400 BC, which if that is the case, the oldest book in the Old Testament would be the beginning of the Psalms, and the earliest book in the Old Testament would be the end of the Psalms. So it starts with Moses, and it ends with one of the obscure writers. So one more time, Psalms covers a period of around 1100 years, and from 1400 BC to 400 BC. King David would write around 73 Psalms, so almost half of the book of Psalms has been written by King David. This will be a three to five year study, and I am praying that we will cover every verse methodically and do the best we can when it comes to a part of the Old Testament, which for the most part is considered to be poetic. And I've heard many people over the years record sections of the Psalms to sing them. But the way that I am going to approach the book of Psalms will be verse by verse. There are four applications when it comes to reading and exegeting the word of God. Historical, doctrinal, prophetical, spiritual. Most of the Old Testament, as far as we are concerned, on this side of the cross, would be read and taught in a historical sense. The entire New Testament, probably excluding the four Gospels, would be taught doctrinally and, of course, prophetically. Occasionally, you can teach the New Testament spiritually, but be careful. And the Old Testament can also be taught spiritually, but be careful. So one final time, there are four ways to read and teach the Word of God. Historically, doctrinally, prophetically, spiritually. Well, my attempt will be to read the book of Psalms verse by verse and where possible, teach the verses in a doctrinal setting. This is the book of books. The book of Psalms is the only part in the Old Testament where everyone goes to when they are in a real bad way. May have a sick child, may have a sick relative, somebody may be dying, or maybe you are desperate to conceive, maybe you are praying for a child, or maybe your child is sick, maybe you have sick relatives, or maybe you are suffering financially spiritually who knows what and this is where you go normally to get a blessing book of psalms like i say 150 chapters 2400 verses 43 and a half thousand words there are five divisions also to the book of psalms the first division concerns chapters or psalm 1 to psalm 42 the second division uh, concerns psalm 42 to psalm 72 the third division covers psalm 78 to 89 the fourth division covers Psalm 90 to 106, and the fifth and final division covers Psalm from 107 to 150. That's Psalm 107 to 150. So there are five divisions in the book of Psalms. If you were to take all of the books out of the Psalms and put them into the Old Testament, you'd have 70 books. So let's begin. And Father, we pray for your blessing this morning that we will be able to read every verse faithfully, honestly, carefully to glean as much truth from the word of God as is possible. We pray for your mercy and blessing over the next three to five years to do the best we can. We are only chosen vessels. We are only uh, vessels chosen for service. We are unclean, unworthy 
uh, ungrateful for the most part, but by your grace and mercy, you've made us righteous, holy, and regenerate. And I'll discuss that more, Father in heaven, as we go through the next three to five years, going through the word of God, the book of Psalms. And we pray for your blessing this morning in Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen. So I sat down a few nights ago to see what was available on YouTube when it comes to the book of Psalms, and I couldn't find one verse-by-verse verse study going through the book of Psalms. So in some ways, I am flying blind, I am driving blind, I am walking blind in some ways. I can think of two preachers that are both dead that have gone through the book of Psalms verse-by-verse. Verse. I haven't heard either of their studies, and that's probably not a bad thing. I don't want to listen to too many preachers when it comes to understanding the Word of God. I want to work these things out for myself. Psalm chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1. Look at verse 1, please. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in a seat of the scornful. Keep your hand there and go to Genesis chapter 13. A saved person uh, can be unholy and ungodly, but an unsaved person cannot be holy or godly. And I'll explain that more in the coming moments. Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. Look at verse 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked, and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. The first time the word sinner turns up in the scripture is found back in Genesis chapter 13. Verse 13. And the definition for sinner or sinners is connected with sodomy. Sodomy, a wicked sin, which is clearly condemned in both testaments but go back to psalm 1 keep your hand still in genesis chapter 13 blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful genesis 13 13 again but the men of sodom were wicked and sinners before the lord exceedingly so scripture defines the meaning to the word sinner and sinner or sinners is connected with sodomy now we say this, we say we are saved sinners, which we are. Uh, we say we are forgiven sinners. We say we are saved sinners on the way to heaven, which is true. But technically, technically, we aren't saved sinners. Technically, we are righteous. We are declared to be righteous. Go back to Psalm chapter 1. It's also interesting from Genesis 13, 13, how the word 13 appears. And it's connected with sodomy, like I say. Psalm 2, 1 again. Blessed, happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor standeth in a way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seats of the scornful. So like I say, a saved person or a righteous person can be unholy and ungodly concerning your state, not standing of course. But an unsaved person cannot be holy or godly. And it's important that we get that. Blessed, happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Happy is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. There are two spellings for counsel, C-O-U-N-S-E-L, concerning an ecclesiastical council, or C-O-U-N-S-I-L, uh, concerning your local town hall. Not the same, of course. And here, the book of Psalms starts with the blessed man, the happy man, the man who is righteous, who walks, stands and sits in the right way with the right group of people. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed, happy is the man or the woman that doesn't Walk or doesn't associate with the counsel of the ungodly, ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Going back to Genesis chapter 13, Sodomites, wicked in the eyes of the Lord, and that's why fire came down from heaven and burned up Lot's 
friends, associates, and the surrounding districts, of course. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Scornful meaning extreme contempt, derision, despising people, ridiculing, mocking. The Pharisees were very good at doing this. One, two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. The word of the Lord and the law of the Lord are used interchangeably in the Psalms. The law is found in the word and the word contains the law. Keep your hand there and go to Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2. Like I say there are five, make that four, four uh, ways to teach the Bible. Historically, doctrinally, prophetically and spiritually. You can always teach the word of God in a spiritual sense if you uh, were unable to understand it in a doctrinal or prophetical manner. But most of the word of God, like I say, especially most of the Old Testament, can and must be taught historically, like the first five books of the Bible, whereas Paul's epistles and the book of Revelation uh, must be taught doctrinally. Revelation, prophetically, of course. The Gospels, probably historically, and only a few parts of the New Testament uh, must be taught spiritually. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 15. Study. To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Not to be ashamed at the judgment seat, because you rightly divided the word of truth. You've meditated on the word of God day and night. You know the word of God back to front, at least you should do. And here it says how you are to study, to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not, that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Go back to the book of Psalms. So scripture with scripture, you can see that both testaments... Commend those that study, those that are meditating on the word of God. Go back to Psalm 1, 1 again. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't hang around with ungodly people, unsaved people. He's careful which company he keeps, who he associates with. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. Doesn't even stand with them. Doesn't walk, doesn't stand. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Won't even sit with such people. He's very particular where he goes and what he does. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Go to Matthew chapter 16. So there are four parts of the New Testament that I want to briefly look at this morning concerning blessings. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 is a good place to begin. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Look at verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Look at verse 13. When Jesus came in to the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? That's a timeless question. Who do people say that I am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? He's asking all of them. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, happy are you, Simon bar Jonah. Once again, Simon has a connection to Jonah. And we spent ten weeks profiling Jonah. And that study ran to six and a half hours. Blessed art thou, happy are you, Simon bar Jonah. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it, Unto thee, like the new birth, you can't save yourself. It's all of the Lord. But my Father, which is in heaven, 
So his father revealed to Simon who Jesus Christ was. And Almighty God has given us the new birth. The source of the new birth comes from God, not from mankind, of course. Go to Luke chapter 1 to Simon. Was blessed. He spoke on behalf of the apostles. They all knew who he was. Some were slower than others. Some, some were slower than others. Uh, but Simon spoke for all of them. And he was blessed. Was given the keys. And he opened heaven up, if you will. Book of Acts. Along with the other apostles. And of course, Paul comes along. And he also opens up heaven. But as far as he would be concerned, to the Gentiles. Whereas Peter would open up the kingdom of heaven. To the Jews, of course. Luke chapter 1. Uh, look at verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favoured. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Every Catholic knows this particular verse. And here Mary, a young woman, a virgin, is receiving. The angel is receiving a blessing, a, a, a revelation from an angel. Hail, thou that art highly favoured. The Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. Jump down to verse 42. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is a fruit of thy womb. This is Elizabeth speaking to Mary. And here Mary is a recipient, not a dispenser of grace. She is receiving grace, not giving grace out. Jump down to verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. She needed a saviour, and of course her saviour was her son, and her son is the creator of the entire universe. Jump down to chapter 2, chapter 2, look at verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of a purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male that openeth a womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. She offered a sacrifice to the Lord. Go to John chapter 20. Because she was a sinner, and after giving a sacrifice to the Lord, along with her husband, Jesus would uh, grow up. She would have many more children, found over in uh, Mark chapter 6. And later on, from uh, Psalm 69, Jesus Christ speaks about his brethren rejecting him. And we will discuss that in a lot more depth uh, in many months to come. John chapter 20, John chapter 20, look at verse 27. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Jesus speaking to Thomas, of course. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. We walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. One more, go to Revelation chapter 1. So we began looking at Peter being blessed, commended for recognizing the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary was also commended for having faith to receive the promise. Thomas was blessed because he was able to see the Lord, and yet many, including myself and Patrick, have not seen the Lord, and yet we have believed nonetheless. We walk by faith, not by sight. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him 
to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God, and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. One more time, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. So from God to Jesus, from Jesus to the angel, from the angel to the servants, being John, and from John to the church. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God, and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. Blessed is our word, blessed, happy. Blessed is he that readeth. You're blessed if you read. And they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So you have a blessing if you read it, you have a blessing if you hear it, and you have a blessing if you keep those things which are written therein. Why? For the time is at hand. Go back to the book of Psalms. 1-1 one, one again. Blessed, happy, is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, ecclesiastically speaking, not civilly speaking, nor standeth in the way of sinners, unsaved, unregenerate, wicked, nor sitteth in the seats of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Day and night he's thinking about the Lord. And day and night he's thinking about the law of the Lord. He's getting a great blessing. Paul told you to study to show yourself approved unto God. So this is a trans-testimonial uh, commandment and uh, statement. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Keep your hand there and go to Matthew chapter 7. If you speak to the Lord 15 minutes every day, and if you read the scripture 15 minutes every day, and if you speak to people about the Lord 15 minutes every day, you will be like this tree found over in Psalm 2-3. You'll be upright, whatever you do will prosper, and you'll be a great blessing to many people. Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets. False teachers, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. They appear to be righteous, they appear to be like you and I, Christians, saved people, but they are ravening wolves, ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Of course not. Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. You say, what does a false teacher look like? It could be the Popes. It could be Muhammad. It could be TBN. It could be uh, God TV. It could be Revelation TV. Go to Psalm 21, please. Look at verse 10. Their fruit shalt thou destroy from the earth, and their seed from among the children of men. For they intended evil against thee. They imagined a mischievous device, which they were not able to perform. Therefore shalt thou make them turn their back, when thou shalt make ready thine arrows upon thy strings against the face of them. Their fruit is deplorable, going back to something's either good or evil, right or wrong. And you were told from Matthew 7, 15 down to 20, to beware of false prophets, false teachers, which come to you in sheep's clothing. They appear to be like one of us. But inwardly they are Ravening wolves, they are wanting to devour the flock. You shall know them by their fruits. Check them out. What sort of fruit do they produce? Do they lead by example? Or are they fleecing the flock? 
Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Well, of course not. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. This concerns teachers, not people per se. Be careful of that. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Good fruit, evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Well, of course not. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Go back to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Look at verse 3 again. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Perfect tree by the rivers of water. That bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Keep your hand there and go to Galatians chapter 5. So spend 15 minutes a day speaking to the Lord. Spend 15 minutes a day reading about the Lord. And spend 15 minutes a day speaking to people about the Lord. Do it seven days a week and you will see yourself grow and achieve great things. Be a blessing to all those all around you. Galatians chapter 5. I'm using a Bible which is over 100 years old. So I have to turn the pages very carefully. Otherwise I'll rip uh, the pages I ripped part of Ezra about a, year, about a year ago. And I'm conscious that I could rip another part of the word of God. So I need to be very careful. Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Nine fruits of the Spirit, which you very rarely hear much about. Most Christians want to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. The gifts are limited, whereas the fruits are unlimited. The gifts were given to a particular people for a particular time uh, concerning a particular work whereas the fruits of the spirits are unlimited timeless and for everyone at any time but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long-suffering gentleness goodness faith meekness temperance against such there is no law go to psalm 19 most christians read the psalms to get a blessing and that's fine uh but it's very rare to find somebody do a verse-by-verse -verse Bible study and attempt to teach this doctrinally when a lot of these psalms are poetic language, figurative language, and yet you'd be surprised how much of this is doctrinally relevant. 19.8. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So the law is good. The word of God is good. And if you are saved, you should rejoice in the beauty of the word of God. We shouldn't shy away from scripture. But like I say, a righteous person, and that's the term I'm going to use for the next two to three years at least, because the word saved isn't found specifically in the book of Psalms. But the term righteous and godly are, so a righteous person can be ungodly and unholy. Go to First Timothy and I'll explain that now. First Timothy chapter 1. Standing in states will be the two words that I use a lot over the next several years to hopefully help you understand the difference between a person standing, meaning sinless perfection in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, contrast that to his state, which can fluctuate to a terrible state. I guess Lot would be a good example. Uh, Saul would be a good example. And uh, Solomon and David and Samson and Samuel as well. And even Josiah and uh, many other greats in the Old Testament. Uh, Gideon. Their state was pitiful at times. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 8. 
But we know that the law is good. If a man use it lawfully, be careful. You are playing with dynamites. If you're not careful, you can use the law to become an idol. You can use the law to cripple somebody. And you can, you can use the law to destroy somebody. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. That's you. That's I. That's Patrick. Those of us which are redeemed. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedience, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, and murderers of mothers, for manslayers. Ungodly, one of our words. Sinners, one of our words. Unholy, one of our words. For whoremongers, verse 10, for them that defile themselves with mankind. For men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. Purged persons, people that lie under oath. Perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Going back to four ways to teach the word of God. Doctrinally, prophetically, historically, spiritually. And here, Paul's epistles are to be taught doctrinally, verse by verse. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Keep your hand and go to Psalm chapter 19. So the law is good if it's used carefully, if it's used to highlight sin. And from Psalm 19, Psalm 19, look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So the law can and must be used to convict mankind of his sin, the law can and will show mankind his need to be saved. But you can't be saved by keeping the law. It's impossible. Go back to 1 Timothy one more time. 1 Timothy 1.8 But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Tread carefully. Be careful what you do with the law. Knowing this, that the law is not made for righteous men, but for the lawless and disobedience, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, and murderers of mothers for men, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, purged persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And one more time from Psalm 19.7, The law of the Lord is perfect. Wonderful. It does the job. Converting a soul, getting somebody saved. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Go back to Psalm chapter 1. Verse 1 again. Blessed, happy, is the man, woman, that walketh, that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Unsaved, unregenerate, apart from the Lord, needs to be saved. Nor standeth in the way of sinners, clearly defined back in Genesis 13, 13, concerning sodomy. Nor sitteth in the seats of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Go to Revelation chapter 2, please. The seat of the scornful, and scornful, like I say, can refer to extreme contempt, derision, uh, despising, ridiculing, mocking. The Pharisees were very good at doing this. Most uh, people, if they are educated, if they have degrees after the names, can be uh, very good at mocking people, uh, pulling people apart. They have a pride issue. They worship education. The three gods today would be money, sex, and education. Those are the three idols. They are the three idols that 
are all over the world. And if you question any one of those three idols, they will come down on you very hard. Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamus write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. The word of God is a sharp two-edged sword. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan's seat dwelleth. So Satan's seat can move, and does move. It begins in Babel, then it goes to Pergamus, and eventually it goes to Babylon. If you think of paradise, paradise starts in Abraham's bosom, and now it's in the third heaven. So a switch has taken place concerning paradise, and a switch has taken place concerning Satan's seat. One more time, 2.12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamus write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. The word of God can heal or hurt. I know thy works after you are saved. Going back to standing in states, and where thou dwellest, where you currently abode, even where Satan's seat is, you really are in the, in the thick of it. If you think about the Dark Ages, if you think about Islamic countries today or atheist countries today, it's pretty grim. It's pretty bleak for most of those people. And thou holdest fast my name, you're holding on, and has not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. Go back to the book of Psalms. So, the seat of the scornful, in the context of Psalm chapter 1, concerns ecclesiastical circles, uh, but again, in type, Satan's seat has moved from Babel to Pergamus to Babylon. Paradise has gone from the ground up into heaven. And it's important that we get this clear and understand what the Word of God tells us when it comes to trying to delineate between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Psalm chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1, look at verse 4. The ungodly are not so, but are like the shaft which the wind driveth away. Ungodly, unsaved, unregenerate. Keep your hand there and go to Matthew chapter 3. The shaft, or the shaft, as the Americans say, uh, concerns the husk of corn or wheat, which is separated from the grain when it is thrown up into the air. Uh, this is agriculturally uh, speaking, something I know very little about. Uh, but again, you've got two groups of people, the righteous and the unrighteous, the holy, the unholy, and the just and the unjust. Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, uh, Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, look at verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes are not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Two baptisms. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes are not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost, new birth, and with fire, everlasting fire, hell fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheats into the garner, but he will burn up the shaft, the shaft with unquenchable fire. So the first part of this concerns those that go into the wheat or those that go into the garner uh, via his floor, his wheat, that's us of course. We go into the storehouse, the barn house, we are kept there safe and sound. Contrast that to those that are baptized with fire, burnt up uh, for fire, burnt up with fire, with unquenchable fire. So once again, two groups of people, the wheat and the chaff, the goats and the sheep, the godly, the ungodly, the just and the unjust, the unrighteous and the righteous. One more time for Matthew chapter 3 and I'll close. 
Matthew 3:11. John the Baptist speaking. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. I'll put you into the lake, the river Jordan, which will show people that you mean business. And that will lead into your repentance, which will hopefully lead into the new birth. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, Messiah, of course, whose shoes are not worthy to bear. But Moses was told to take off his shoes. Joshua was told to take off his shoes. And here John the Baptist, the Lord's cousin, isn't even worthy to bear his shoes, carry his shoes. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost, the new birth. The Holy Ghost will put you into the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will use the Holy Ghost to put you into the Lord Jesus Christ. And with fire, everlasting fire, whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, being storehouse, being an area where the grain will be kept safe. Wheat in the garner, but he will burn up the shaft, the shaft with unquenchable fire. So once again, it's agriculturally speaking. The grain of the corn, the husk of the corn, or wheat, Two different aspects of farming, which I know very little about, but you understand two groups of people, the righteous and the unrighteous, the godly and the ungodly, the just and the unjust, the saved and the unsaved, the lost and the redeemed, so on and so forth. But Matthew chapter 3 fits nicely with uh, Psalm 1, 4, and go back to Psalm 1, verse 4, one final time. The ungodly, the lost, are not so, but so like the shaft which the wind driveth away. They'll be destroyed, they'll be cast off. And when the judgment comes, it will come pretty hard, pretty uh, final for those people. And they'll be cut in pieces. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Contrast that to the righteous, which go into the thousand-year reign and off into eternity forever. And we will close it there and pick it up next week from Psalm chapter 1, verse 5. So recap to what we looked at last Sunday concerning the book of Psalms, which is laid out in five divisions. And the first Division will be Psalm 1 to Psalm 41. The second division will be Psalm 42 to Psalm 72. The third division will be Psalm 73 to 89. The fourth division will be Psalm 90 to Psalm 106. And the fifth and final division will be Psalm 107 to Psalm 150. And like I said last Sunday, written over a period of around 1100 years. We believe as far back as 1400 BC. Uh, up until as recent as 400 BC. And uh, one of the authors uh, could be Ezra as well. But King David, uh, like I said last week, would write around half of the book of Psalms. In Hebrew, it simply means praise, praises. To praise the Lord, and as Paul would say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And if you are saved, you should be rejoicing each and every day. Psalm 1, look at verse 1 again, please. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Keep your hand there and go to Matthew chapter 23. We will look at counsel and counsels over the next week or two, month or two, year or two. And like I said last week, you've got ecclesiastical councils and civil councils. When it comes to ecclesiastical uh, councils, they are condemned in scripture. In Acts chapter 15, you've got a conference, which is meeting, not a council per se. And yes, there is a clear delineation. And if you don't know much about councils, study the word of God and study church history. Matthew 23, Matthew 23, look at verse 27. Jesus speaking. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye are like unto whitest sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, 
but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Meek and mild Jesus, most people don't know the real Jesus, both sides to the Lord Jesus Christ, two parts to him, son of man and son of God, and we will look at him in great detail when we get to Psalm chapter 2. Like when was he begotten? What does it mean to beget someone? What does it mean to be the son of God? What does it mean to be the son of man? But here, Jesus is taking the Pharisees apart. 28. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men. There's our word righteous. But of course they are self-righteous. But within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Warrant you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites. Because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. You polish them. You shine them up. You're very proud of them. And again the righteous... It could be in, the, in uh, reference to Abraham, perhaps, Isaac and Jacob. Righteous people, godly people, and like I said last week, uh, a saved person, a righteous person, can be unholy and ungodly if they're out of fellowship with the Lord. But an unsaved person can never be holy or godly. Look at verse 30. And say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Had we lived way back when, we wouldn't have been so quick to attack the Lord's people. Like the prophets, we would have been on the right side of history, when of course they would have been on the wrong side of history. 31. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves, that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Go to Acts chapter 23. So Matthew 23, Jesus Christ is dealing with a group of religious people concerning one of their councils plotting and planning to kill the potentate of potentates. And in Acts chapter 23, it's now Paul's turn to deal with such people. Uh, Acts 23, look at verse 6. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead I am called in question. Jump down to verse 12. And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Good people, righteous people, holy people. They knew the Bible pretty well. And of course, Satan knows the Bible very well. And here they are conspiring to kill Paul. Uh, look at 13. And they were more than 40, which had made this conspiracy. Go down to verse 20. And he said, the Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council. Into the council. As though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly but do not thou yield unto them for there lie in wait for him of them more than 40 men which have bound themselves with an oath a blood oath the freemasons take oaths the jesuits take oaths knights of columbus take oaths the catenians take oaths knights of malta take oaths but you are told not to take any oath you are told not to swear at all by heaven or by the earth you are told to let your yea be yea and your nay be nay Always be mindful, be careful when it comes to religious people. That they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready looking for a promise from thee? So the chief captain then let the young man depart, one of Paul's relatives of course, and charged him, see thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things unto me. Go back to the book of Psalms. One more time, one one. Blessed, happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Matthew 23, Acts 23. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. Genesis thirteen thirteen Sodomites, immoral people. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Nasty people, very good at despising people, ridiculing people. They say this, you don't know Greek? You don't know Hebrew? 
We speak to a Muslim, you don't know Arabic, what's wrong with you? You go back to pre-Vatican II, you don't speak Latin, what's wrong with you? Are you a dunce? Are you a dummy? That kind of a thing. Contrast this uh, condemnation from, or this part condemnation from 1-1, dealing with the religious crowd, contrast that to someone like uh, Nicodemus or Zacchaeus. Climbed up into a tree on one occasion to see the Lord Jesus Christ. People were laughing their heads off. Look at that silly Jew climbing up into a tree. He's got bark all over his clothes and Jesus is coming through and he can't wait to see him. Didn't care what people thought about him. And also Joseph of Arimathea. Three Jews, all saved, all loved the Lord. They were blessed. They walked with the right people. They stood with the right people. They sat with the right people. Again, contrast that to the religious Pharisees, so on and so forth. Psalm 1-2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Keep your hand there. And go to Genesis 24. Genesis 24. Blessed means happy. Uh... You should be rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And in Genesis 24, we've got a good example of somebody who would meditate, somebody who would meditate and would pray and would get his prayer answered. Genesis 24, 63. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. For she had said unto the servants, What man is this that walketh in a field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. He's been praying. He's been meditating. He's been asking for a wife, no doubt. He's been mourning the loss of his mother. Go to John chapter 1. And after praying and mourning and waiting and meditating on the words of the Lord, uh, the law of the Lord, a wife has been secured for him. And when he sees her, it's basically love at first sight. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. You are told to set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. This is all temporary down here. Uh, but when it comes to the Lord, everything is eternal. John chapter 1, uh, John chapter 1, look at verse 47. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. What a lovely thing to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servants, enter thou into the joy of thy master. You've been faithful, and as a result of that, so I'm going to reward you now. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered, and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. I saw you praying, Nathaniel. I saw you meditating on my words. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Nathaniel answered, and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. When it comes to affirming the Lord's deity, most people think that Peter was the first to affirm it, but no. It actually begins with someone like Nathaniel, John the Baptist, uh, Peter and Andrew. And as you read through the word of God, other apostles start to speak up. But Peter actually is quite late. Matthew 16, he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But here Nathanael says, You are the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending 
upon the Son of Man. Go back to the book of Psalms. Psalm 1, look at verse 3 again. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Go to 3 John. Scripture with scripture, it's the only way to understand the scripture. If you follow churches, if you go to church, if you follow traditions or catechisms, uh, they will change, they will update themselves. Uh, I've got the Catholic Church Catechism from 1994, and I've got one of their dictionaries from 1960. You know what? They don't match. No. The 1961 uh, is pretty clear that if you die outside of the Church of Rome, you will go to hell forever. But the 94 Catechism says anybody can go to heaven, whether they believe in Jesus Christ or not, whether they are a Catholic or not. But of course, you're not supposed to see that. You're not supposed to be aware of that. 3 John, 3 John, 3 John. Uh, look at verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Go back to the book of Psalms. So you can prosper if you are a Christian, if you are consecrated, if you are walking with the Lord. If you are picking up your cross each and every day, if you are in the will of God, and if you are praying for this or praying for that, he will hear your prayers and he will grow you. You may be very successful. But here's the question. Let's say you are very successful. Let's say you are very wealthy. What are you going to do with your money? Are you going to give it away? Are you going to give it to poor people? You've got a nice big house, six or seven bedrooms. You're going to open up your house to the poor. You're going to allow people to come and eat at your table every night. People need to be careful what they pray for. God may answer your prayer and he may give you more than you could probably handle and if he gives you more than you can handle what are you going to do with it psalm 1 5 in fact make it verse 4 psalm 1 4 the ungodly the ungodly are not so but like the shaft which the wind driveth away so the the uh, blessed man is the righteous man and the ungodly man is the unsaved man the unrighteous man the ungodly are not so but like the shaft which the wind driveth away they stand for nothing and therefore they will fall for anything Verse 5, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Go to Psalm 26, Psalm 26. They won't stand like they won't be exonerated. They won't stand as uh, in reference to the fact that they will be destroyed. Uh, they will be cast out of so the Lord's presence forever. Uh, Psalm 25, make that 26. Psalm 26, look at verse 5. I've hated the congregation of evildoers. And we're not sit with the wicked. Go to Jeremiah 15. Pick your friends very carefully. You can't pick your family, but you can pick your friends. And again, ecclesiastical councils are condemned in scripture. Uh, civil councils, like your local council, like town hall, for the most part, are civil, secular. And of course, you can work for those people if you, wish, uh, if you should so wish to. But you wouldn't want to be socialising with unsaved people unless you're going to be witnessing to them, of course. Jeremiah 15, Jeremiah 15, look at verse 17. I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoiced. I sat alone because of thy hand, for thou hast filled me with indignation. Go back to the book of Psalms. So Jeremiah was very choosy who he would associate with. Uh, you're told to separate from ungodly people, unholy people, unrighteous people. You are to be very particular, very careful uh, who you will associate with, because if you don't, you will end up getting contaminated that's all there is to it psalm 1 look at verse 6 for the lord knoweth the way of the righteous but the way of the ungodly shall perish he knows them he loves them he hears them as a husband knows his wife as a wife knows her husband 
as a parent knows their child, so the Lord knows those that are righteous. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. The Bible is a very practical book. It's a very black and white book. And if you take the time to read it, study it, you will see that it really makes a lot of sense. It's like this. If I was to design something, I know all about it. I know what it consists of. I've designed it. And if I design it, I should know how it will best work. That should be rather obvious. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. This whole universe was created by Almighty God. He runs it himself. Doesn't need mankind to do anything for him. 2 Timothy chapter 2. So when he says something, you better listen to him. Uh, 2 Timothy 2. Look at verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. I love my own unto the end. No man shall pluck them out of my father's hand. My father is greater than I. You're safe in the beloved. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. You are sealed. You are safe in the beloved. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And I will show you in probably three or four months time that iniquity isn't just what you shouldn't do, but it's what you should do. People think iniquity is like lying, stealing, uh, blaspheming, and of course it is, but it goes a lot deeper than that. Iniquity can also be false doctrine. Go back to Psalm 1, Psalm 1, look at verse 6 again. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. That's you and I. If you are saved, we are righteous. The term saved is a New Testament doctrine for the most part. But for the Old Testament, the term righteous, holy, is used to denote somebody who is saved, somebody who has been declared to be just. And here, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. He knows us, he loves us. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. Go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Perish is a terrifying word. And I'll discuss that a lot more in the coming weeks. In some ways, we could say this when it comes to the uh, book of Psalms. Like uh, Psalm 1, how the man is blessed that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Or nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. We could cross-reference that to Matthew 5. How the poor in spirit are blessed. How the... Uh, merciful are blessed, how the poor in spirits are blessed, how those who mourn are blessed, so on and so forth. But of course, you know that Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, and Matthew 8 is the kingdom of heaven being outlined, the thousand year reign. You don't want to take those verses or those chapters from Matthew 5, 6, 7, 8 and apply them to somebody living today. It's problematic. We live in the church age, not the kingdom age. We can, and we do, take Matthew 5, 6, 7, 8 in a spiritual sense, going back to what I said last week. Four applications, four applications, historical, doctrinal, prophetical, spiritual. If you are a Bible teacher, you know that the Word of God fits into one of those four categories. For the Old Testament, for the most part, it is historical. For the New Testament, doctrinal, and parts of the Old Testament, prophetical, parts of the New Testament, prophetical, and every so often, spiritual, if you get into a difficult situation like Song of Solomon or Lamentations, or some of the Proverbs. Matthew 25, Matthew 25, look at verse 37. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink, the righteous, those that have appropriated the atonement, those that are just, those that are saved. We're not holy in and of ourselves, we're not righteous in and of, and of ourselves, we aren't good in and of ourselves, we are declared to be righteous, holy, just, we have been pardoned exonerated and here christ has returned second advent is about to be initiated the judgment has taken place of the nations 
This is not the great white throne judgment which takes place in heaven. This is the judgment of the nations which takes place on the earth. Big difference. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? This is a great, well, uh, this is a great part of scripture to read in conjunction with James chapter 2. Uh, let your lights so shine before men that they may see your Father which is in heaven. If you are saved, let your light shine. What do they say back in the book of Acts? They prayed for great boldness. Great boldness. They wanted to shine. And here, James chapter 2 is being commended. But these people aren't being commended for their works. Or these people aren't going to go to the thousand year reign, into the thousand year reign because of their works. They will go into the thousand year reign because they were saved. And yes, they are being commended for their works, but their works are not playing any part in their justification. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. So if you love a fellow Christian, if you show a fellow Christian kindness, support, going back to, Lord, make me wealthy. Lord, make me this. Lord, make me that. And he says, okay, I'll give you a million pounds. I'll give you a million dollars. I'll give you a million euros. But how are you going to spend it? You're going to open up your home, turn it into an orphanage. You're going to let poor people come into your home, homeless people, drug addicts. You're going to become somebody who was so, uh, somebody who's so remarkable in your town that people are flocking uh, to find a level of hospitality from you. Or is that money going to be kept all to yourself? And of course, Christians have Christ living inside of them. 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So hell wasn't created for mankind. It was created for Satan when he fell, and also his angels. If you are a human being, there's no reason for you to go to hell. But you will go to hell if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. For I wasn't hungered, and he gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and he gave me no drink. Also, this deals with the uh, tribulation. How we deal with the Jews? Do we pray for the Jews? Do we stand by the Jews? Like for here and now in the church age, but even more in the tribulation. But we will spiritualize this for the church age as well. For I was unhungered, and he gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and he gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and he took me not in. Naked, and he clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and he visited me not. Saved people can fall. Saved people can find themselves in a terrible situation. If you think about Noah, or Lot, or Abraham... Three righteous men, all patriarchs in a sense, back in the Old Testament, they all fell. Lot became intoxicated, excuse me, Noah became intoxicated. Lot uh, was also uh, made to become drunk by his daughters. He got his daughters drunk, or his daughters got him drunk, I should say, and they slept with him. And Abraham would take him concubines many years after his peak. So three people, Noah got drunk. Lot got his daughters pregnant. Of course, he was intoxicated at the time. He wasn't aware as to what was going on. But he still fell. He still fell, and his daughters became pregnant by their father. And, of course, Abraham, like I say, would have children with his concubines. 44. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee unhungered, or athirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it, not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous, the righteous, the righteous, into life eternal. So when it says over in Psalm 1.5, how the ungodly shall not stand in the judgments, well, we can see why. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. He knows us, like I say, he is our good shepherd. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. And for Matthew 25, like I say, you've got two groups of people. The sheep and the goats. The goats going to hell forever. And the sheep going to the thousand year reign forever. I'll give you one more. Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. The last thing you want to hear is Christ condemning you to hell forever. Saying, I never knew you depart from me, your workers of iniquity. And it says over in Matthew 7 how many would hear those words, not just some, but many. But I'll tell you something which you want to be really mindful of and, and uh, able to rejoice in. Are the words found over in John chapter 14. Uh, John chapter 14, like verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. The Father and I are one, you see. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm a carpenter. I know what I am doing. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Go back to the book of Psalms. So that's what you want to hear, right? John 24. Uh, John 14, excuse me. John 14. You want to hear that? You don't want to hear uh, Matthew 25 being condemned to hell forever. And yet that's what I think many people are going to hear when the judgment comes around. So pray if you are saved. Meditate on the word of God if you are saved. Two groups of people, the righteous and the unrighteous, the godly and the ungodly, the just and the unjust. How you walk, how you stand, how you sit will determine what sort of person you are. Pick your friends very carefully. You can't pick your family. And like I said last week, the word of the Lord and the law of the Lord are used interchangeably. In the Psalms, the law is found in the word and the word contains the law. A saved person, a righteous person can be unholy and ungodly like Noah was, like Lot was, like Abraham was. And that concerns their state, not their standing. But an unsaved person, like the Pharisees found over in Matthew 23 and the Pharisees found over in Acts 23 can never be holy and they can never be godly. A one final time from Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in a seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Not to be financially successful, though you may be, but more in the sense of being prosperous, like getting people saved. Like spreading the gospel further afield, like the apostles would do. The ungodly, the lost, the wicked, the unsaved are not so, but are like the shaft, the shaft which the wind driveth away, blows them away. Off to hell forever they go. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. They won't stand, they won't be able to overcome, but they will be thrown into hell forever. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous... Now we could say this, that at the great white throne judgment, Christ is judging, obviously Daniel speaks about that. The church are present, the angels are present. So you've got a picture of a group of people up in the third heaven, congregation for the New Testament, we say the church. But going back to the two councils, civil and ecclesiastical, Old Testament, New Testament, in the context you've got those on the earth around 1000 BC or thereabouts, and David speaks about the righteous many times in this book. But the ungodly are not righteous. They are unrighteous. And they won't stand. Like I say, they will be thrown into hell forever. And in verse 6, one last time. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. He will direct your paths. He will go before you. Psalm 23 tells us that. 
But the way of the ungodly, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Off to hell forever. And we'll discuss that a lot more in the coming weeks and months. So we are finished by the grace of God. Psalm chapter 1, and I've shown you hopefully very clearly. Two groups of people. And to be very mindful, be very careful not to fall into the religious crowd who are condemned. Matthew 23, Christ gets the whip out twice would cleanse the temple because the unrighteous people were making merchandise off the people, the common people. And Paul would come up against those people and they would plot and plan to kill him. Forty men took an oath and we believe those 40 men basically starved to death because God would deliver the apostle Paul and yet they would perish those people along with the likes of Caiaphas, Annas or Ananias and other Jewish leaders that would uh, be on the wrong side of the Lord Jesus Christ. Herod would be another good example. And of course Pontius Pilate, who we believe probably committed suicide. But the blessed man, the happy man, is someone like Nicodemus, who starts off very slow. On one occasion he came to Jesus at night, under the cover of dark, and Christ said to him, a man must be born again. And he doesn't say, how can I be born again? He says, how can man be born again? doesn't quite register with him. Middle parts of John's Gospel, he's speaking up for the Lord Jesus Christ, like chapter 8. And by chapter 19, he's working closely with Joseph of Arimathea, to secure the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes of age, Nicodemus. John 3, John 8, John 19. Profile him sometime. You'll see what I'm speaking about. Zacchaeus, a wealthy man in Israel. Made an absolute mint, as they say. A very successful Jew. Very good at investing. Very good at making money. And yet, and yet one day Christ came to his town. And he climbed up into a tree. And he wanted to see Jesus. Because he, Zacchaeus, was a little guy. Got tree markings all over him. Covered with... Uh, Bark, like I say, and they're laughing at him. That stupid Jew, they're saying. That wicked Jew, they are saying. He's made a fool of himself, and he comes down off that tree, out of that tree, righteous, justified. There's our word again, righteous, justified, and all those Jews that mocked and rejected him, and mocked and rejected Christ, are the ones condemned in Matthew 25. And like I say, Joseph of Arimathea, a remarkable man, goes to Pilate, begs the body, craves for the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. A strange word, crave, he begged. He interceded, he pleaded for the body of Jesus. And he's the happy man from Psalm 1. He's the blessed man from Psalm 1. And he's the man that will really shine in eternity. And I'll say one final thing when it comes to the book of Psalms. Uh, Second Chronicles has Israel's dispersion. 70 AD, Ezra has the regathering of the Jews. AD 1948, Esther shows the setting aside of the Gentiles for a Jewish bride. Job pictures Israel's persecution through the tribulation and Psalms pictures the blessed man, the happy man, about to reign over the kings of the earth, like chapter 2. So there are many aspects, many ways to look at the book of Psalms. And I'll say one final thing. When I sat down a few weeks ago to prepare for the book of Psalms, I read a very interesting footnote about this incredible piece of the Old Testament. Psalms is right in the middle of the Old Testament, right in the middle of the Bible. And the footnote said the following, that basically all these wonderful psalms that we're going to read over the next three to five years have no application to the Jew. Those poor Jews that were suffering during World War II in concentration camps all over Europe and Poland and elsewhere, and those poor people that were suffering in Japanese concentration camps, mainly Gentile, of course, but people generally that were suffering during World War II, like the Jews, couldn't take any of these promises for themselves. Because what happened was when they rejected Christ... Let his blood be on us and on our children. These promises were cancelled, basically. So the book of Psalms, to be correct, is prophetical. And like I said last week, there was more material in the book of Psalms about the second coming and 
thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ and all four gospels combined. This part of scripture is for the church, not the Jew. And I think that guy's got an interesting point. And I've written down uh, for a few weeks time, I got uh, Jeremiah 11. I got Jeremiah, Jeremiah 11. I got Jeremiah 14. I got Jeremiah 23. I got Ezekiel 3. I got Ezekiel 5. I got Ezekiel 6. I got Ezekiel 7. I got Ezekiel 11 and Ezekiel 20 to perhaps prove his point. That tragically, these wonderful verses which we are going to read over the next few years are only for the church. Incredible. Old Testament, written in Hebrew, going back to the Old Testament era, 1400 BC to 400 AD. And yet, because the Jews rejected Jesus, they can't read these verses. These verses are not for them. And I think there's something in that. And I will further elaborate on that in the coming weeks and months.